We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. I want you to remember that line. We in the modern West have excelled in recent centuries by learning to measure as many objects as possible in the natural world. And this has brought many genuine benefits, advances in science, advances in economics, etc. But measuring the world, or making a habit of this, has its drawbacks. And I'm not uh, going to go into a supposed conflict between science and religion or something like that, or at least not exactly. It's Good Friday, and my aim is to re-examine, reflect with you, the meaning of Christ's sufferings, and in particular, the ways we might misunderstand it. In the spiritual life, we used to quantify all kinds of things. Uh, My mother used to speak about uh, jokes when she was a child about grace points. You you could build up X amount of points and and use them uh, when you needed to cash them in. Indulgences could pardon the punishment of a quantity of days or even years. In the sacrament of confession, it was common to speak of kinds of sin and number. In fact, we still should do that in the case of grave sin. Now, these examples are considered by many contemporary Catholics to be remnants of the Church's theology during the period between the Council of Trent and Vatican II. But old habits die hard, and we continue to live in a world that insists on measuring everything. And this particular habit of quantification, numbering things, has metastasized, in a way, into other areas of behavior where it affects us in subtle ways and in ways that I'm going to suggest hinder us from entering fully and personally into the liturgy of our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. So how is this so? First of all, measurement breeds a kind of competitiveness. This might be more of a pitfall for men than women, but I'm sure it affects all of us. Measuring things, we reduce differences when we measure things, right? So we have standardized tests in schools, and, you know, we can't test for everything, so we have to test on a few things, but all students get packed into those categories, and then they get ranked, right? I'm in the 70th percentile for vocabulary or whatever it is. And if I know then where my classmate stands, uh, I can improve in vocabulary and vanquish him and move ahead in the pack. But what about uh, what happens when you have a student who's good at geometry and calculus and then another student who's good at fixing machines? How do you compare these things? Uh, Well, we probably can wait. We can say, you know, you can make more money uh, in this and that career using your skills in calculus as an engineer than you can in being a mechanic. And so again, we we associate a kind of superiority with a kind of ranking, uh, measurable ranking. In any case, uh, we end up putting everybody in some kind of pecking order. Rather than seeing our lives as intertwined and complementary, we need engineers and mechanics, right? Another problem, numbers by their nature are discrete. What I mean by that is that there's always a gap. If you name any two numbers, if they're not the same number, uh, there's always a gap between them. The gap between two and three is one. 
and that gap we call the difference. And so the habit of numbering things tends to heighten the otherness and the separateness of things. We separate things into discrete, measurable packets. And again, this is what happens. Instead of seeing the engineer and the mechanic as somehow connected with one another, we see them as different and different in this discrete kind of way. So what has all this to do with Good Friday, you're asking yourselves? How might our habits of measuring and quantifying creep into our understanding of Christ's passion? Well, for one thing, it leads us to focus, again, probably in a way we don't even think about much of the time, on our Lord's humanity, but at the expense of his immeasurable divinity. In the Incarnation, the immaterial, immeasurable, eternal, omnipresent God emptied himself of the prerogatives of his divinity and entered into our experience, our limited, temporal, measurable cosmos. And here's the catch. He did so at a particular place and time. And so we can calculate more or less exactly how long ago and how far away. And this habit of measuring things by distance in time and place uh, means that we see a difference, a gap between ourselves and Christ's lifetime. The crucifixion becomes trapped in the past, separated by uh, this distance in time, and a distance that's getting bigger every moment, getting farther away. Here's another possible distortion. This one has pious inspirations, and so I offer this observation with a certain amount of caution and just invite you to reflect on it. How often have you heard it said that our Lord Jesus Christ, in his passion, suffered more than anyone else? This is asserted uh, because Christ is God and therefore is capable of more suffering in a certain sense. Uh, also because, while each of us suffers for our own sins, and perhaps you know we can learn to suffer for others, Christ suffers for all sins. Uh, but again, what we're doing is quantifying sin in some way, quantifying suffering, comparing ourselves to him, uh, unfavorably, of course. Now, again, all of this may be true about Christ's passion and his own experience, but it moves us to measure Christ's suffering and ours and to compare our sufferings to other people's sufferings. Unbelievers, uh, many of whom are fallen away from the faith, will catch on to this kind of thing, and sometimes with mockery and sometimes with indignation, will ask, you know, is it, isn't it true that our, your Lord only suffered for three hours? Isn't it true that some people are tortured for days at a time or imprisoned for years unjustly? What about wounded soldiers who suffer physical pain from old injuries for decades, and perhaps even continue to suffer psychologically from things like post-traumatic stress disorder, reliving old sufferings over and over again. How, how can you compare this with crucifixion for three hours, right? You hear this kind of thing. Uh, we don't need to listen to it or, or take it seriously if we resist the habit of measuring. <laughs> so does it even make sense to try to quantify suffering? And doesn't it in some way trivialize the very personal intimate nature of suffering that each of us has to confront as individuals. But the core matter here is that Christ's sufferings is somehow separate from us, unfathomable for us, because there's this gap. The fathers of the church uh, didn't dwell much on how much our Lord suffered. 
they dwell rather on a, a different kind of paradox, and that is the tender patience and pathos of the creator God suffering, entering into the suffering of his creation, suffering at the hands of his creatures, the beautiful, unchanging countenance of God, marred in his assumed human nature, of the God who is all good, being unjustly condemned, scourged, and mocked. This is not a God, if we see especially in John's Gospel, this is not a God who is in competition with us in any way. It is a God inviting us to see in him a way out of alienation, of blame, of competition, of violence, even of victimization. You know, this, this sort of cult of victimization we have in our world today, it's a competition you can, to see who can be victimized the most because you get the most perks that way. All this competition, all this measurement, this is not a God who pits one of us against another. Our God is the God of reconciliation and cooperation. And I mean this last term in the strictest way. God operates with us, in us, through us, not despite us or against us. He could do that too if we resist him. But if we cooperate, if we see in our sufferings an opportunity to welcome Christ's suffering in us, uh, we cooperate with the immeasurable God. In our baptisms, we have been conformed to Christ. We've been made members of his body. His life has become the very source of our life. And so we never suffer alone. We never suffer without him being with us. He's not separated from us. His suffering wasn't something over and done. It's something ongoing right now, wherever there's suffering. Wherever there's suffering in the church, Christ is suffering in and with us. It is a present reality. It's a very present reality. Uh, I'll come back to that in a moment. Because we are united to Christ, our suffering becomes efficacious. It's an opportunity for us to give ourselves in love, to offer ourselves along with Christ's sacrifice. This brings me to the last important point of Good Friday. First of all, that it is good. And it really is good. Because today is the day that death was broken by the undying God. And we are invited to partake of the spoils by our unity with Christ's sufferings. And we discover in this that our human nature is meant for communion, not for comparison, but for communion with the divine nature. There is no competition between the two. Christ's human nature is distinct from his divine nature in the sense that we can distinguish between them, but they are not discrete packets of stuff that we could separate out, like apples from oranges or statistical results that we can sort in our Excel file. Recalling that Good Friday is good, and that is where Christ's faithful suffer. He is suffering in and with them. It would hardly be an exaggeration for me to say to you that present-day Christianity is right now undergoing a kind of extended Good Friday. The latest murder of Christians, at least that I know of, took place just on Palm Sunday when two prominent Coptic churches were bombed, including one where the patriarch was celebrating the liturgy. We've been hearing for some decades that the church has entered a new era of persecution and martyrdom. Where is God in this? 
There he is on the cross, the cross that each of us bears, the suffering that each of us undergoes. Now, we should certainly call violence against Christians by its rightful name and stand up for our fellow sufferers, but we should not be surprised or discouraged if suffering and even death overtakes us. We are not separated from Christ by trial, hunger, nakedness, or the sword. Christ is with us and in us, human and divine. Cling to him. We are striving to undergo his passion with him, that we might also attain the resurrection from the dead. And if it is true that we are experiencing a global Good Friday, will we not also experience a corresponding Easter? Cling to the cross. Don't let it go. Let us give and not count the cost. Let us ask God to supply us with the immeasurable richness of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.